0: the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan. And I'm Deidre. And today we're going to do a recap of some of these amazing episodes that we have had um, so many great guests mm-hmm. on. It's been um, unbelievable. Just so thankful. Uh, last week with your Enneagram coach Beth McCord. Week for that. Yeah, what? We've had Allison Cook. We've had Jenna Riemersma, Amy oh, Sollenberger, yeah. Joan Ryan. I mean, these are Enneagram and IFS experts. And they're like kind of their own little circle. They all know each other. They all go on each other's podcasts. So it was really, really cool to kind of get in in road with them and have them share their wisdom and their love for healing especially with women. And these ladies have been working with either IFS or Enneagram, some of them both for decades, like 20, 30 years. Why are we even (laughs) talking about it? We have no right (laughs) because it works. It really does. It's so, so good. Um, I love the way that Beth last week was laying out just that beautiful map of how IFS and Enneagram work. Of course with her, she calls it the EIP, Enneagram Internal Profile. I've been struggling a little bit with that acronym, just remembering what they all remember, uh, stand for, but it is it is so cool because uh, if you listen to any of the episodes, you know, Internal Family Systems talks about the parts of our soul that um, whether they're an exile or, or a protector that, um, we, they operate without us really knowing them. And so to get some clarity on what's happening within our own heart is just, it really is transformational, but uh, Beth kept using the phrase astonishing clarity about the way the Enneagram maps that. And then for her to overlay Enneagram with IFS, um, uh, you have a good handle on this, Megan. I feel like, (laughs) like just explain this, maybe in our words, how we would recap uh, Beth's EIP model. Well, what she did is she was struggling uh, kind of, she's an Enneagram nine. She said, so part of an Enneagram nine is that they don't understand introspection super well. Like that's more difficult for a nine than maybe some other numbers right? because understanding themselves means they kind of have to disrupt that internal piece to go inside and figure out what's wrong and what's going on inside. And they don't, they just would rather avoid the chaos than look into it. So I understand why she would struggle to kind of figure that out. Um, But what gave her a handle on IFS and Enneagram overlaying is when she realized that her wings and her connecting lines could be doorways into understanding the parts of herself. So she had a really good handle on like, I am an Enneagram nine, this is who I am as a peacemaker. Um, But what happens when that three part of me flares up or that six part of me or her wings, eight and one, and she was able to really name those and make them doorways into understanding some of the parts of herself. And I know that as a four, I can do that. I can see where there's a three part of me and a five part of me is my wings. I know where that one part of me and that two part of me come into play. The only thing that I would add that I've been learning as we've talked about this is that I don't think there's just one, two part of me or one, one part of me, if that makes sense. Like I can look at like a four goes to two in, um, stress. Primarily. And I can see how there's a really unhealthy part of me. And she talked about that a little, she had different names for the unhealthy and healthy parts of herself, but I would almost venture to say that they're kind of different parts of me, right? Mm -hmm. Not just an unhealthy and a healthy part. Yeah. Like there's a two part of me that's really, really clingy. And there's a two part of me that's really connected. And so maybe that's how she was saying it. I think I would just spin it a little bit differently, wouldn't you? Well, I think we would, because we kind of jump started this with emotions work mm-hmm. and there are a lot of emotions that kind of cluster around a part. So for me, that was what we were saying, like as a one, you know, anger mm-hmm. is going to be my mm-hmm. go-to emotion, but I see a cluster of parts that are managers and protectors there that are everything from resentment, indignation, uh, actual anger you know these different things that kind of cluster around that uh so for some of the more ifs purists they're going to talk about those constellation of parts. that's Um, the term tammy and joan use when they talk about the enneagram overlay with it that every like every type one for instance would have a similar constellation of parts around that that sin or passion maybe or around their connecting lines or their wings or whatever I think that we should just take a minute to kind of review what we're talking about. I know people that are familiar at all with Enneagram understand your wings. Those are the line, or those are the numbers on each side of your type. So as a one, I could have a nine wing or a two wing. As a four, you could have a three wing or a five wing. So those are, you know mathematical they make sense whatever's on each side of you um and and so those are more like borrowing behaviors just uh, it doesn't change your type it doesn't change your motivation your core longing or core fear but it is some behaviors that you can borrow to cope in the world um but let's just break down for a minute because it's probably been a while since we've done this where we go in stress and security and obviously different enneagram teachers have different language for that we we would call that stress and security but We do, and that's the language that we learned from Beth, actually, when we did our um, Enneagram certification. But Joan, when she was on a few weeks ago, she referred to them as the connecting points or the connecting lines. So hearing them as the lines is going to be a very universal term for them, and then how they're broken down from there is gonna be different. But if you look at the actual image of the Enneagram, every single number is connected to two other numbers with those lines, the actual diagram of it. And those are the numbers that a core number can borrow from when it needs it. So we've learned about it for in stressful situations or in a time of stress in your life, you can borrow from that stress number to help yourself. And it's either going to make it better or make it worse, but you can borrow those numbers that the behaviors from that number you can access them pretty easily. And the same is when you're in a position where you feel more secure, you can borrow from that security line and borrow behaviors there. And they can also be healthy or unhealthy, as we've learned. We've talked about this in, oh gosh, was it a a year ago? We probably talked about these lines. Um, I can link to that old episode if you want to dig further into that. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea just in case you need a refresher. Um, Also, your uh, Enneagram Megan Instagram account Mm -hmm. would have a lot of uh, language and graphics for that, which would be helpful. I mean, we could pop through them now, but unless you're taking notes, you probably won't remember. But for each of the nine types, you're going to have to connecting lines. And so we have spent some time in those because we think that those are pathways for growth. Mm -hmm. But what I love about this IFS language is that, or as Beth would use her EIP language, is that it's a map to say, okay, so um, we always use one and four. So let's use a different number. For Julie Mason, this is going to be a nine. (laughs) We're going to use nine for her because she always says we don't get to nine often enough. So let's start with nine today. So nines connecting lines are three and six. Yeah. Okay. Which is easy. Three, sixes, and nines, they're their own triangles. So they're always their own. They don't share with anybody else. Three, sixes, and nines are the connecting lines for all three of those. So for nines, they go to three in security. Yes. Six in stress. So Four and nine, as Beth was saying, if you're struggling with where to start with IFS, those are two great places to start because you know that you are in stress and security going to move toward three and six at maybe various times throughout your life, maybe multiple times a day. I guess it kind of depends on your personality and what's going on in your world. Um, So being able to identify that three part, both the healthy and unhealthy, and that uh, sixth part, both the healthy and unhealthy can be a starting point for you. So that's one way to jump into IFS work is to look at that map mm-hmm. of the Enneagram. Yeah. I'm excited to read how Beth kind of lays that out in her book that releases, I don't what she said. I think she said September. This it fall. feels like it yeah. was this fall. <clears throat> and so I think, I think that's a huge, like um, I'm going to use the word primer and you don't like the word primer. So primer uh, for the Enneagram IFS overlay. I think that's great. I almost, I'm sad that we didn't coin it ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Except that I do feel that there's so much more work that can be done. So you can start from two perspectives. Here is what we're saying. This is a great way to start if you're not sure what emotion you are dealing with and where to go. If you're a more emotional person, it, it might be easier to start from the more um, flooded part. You know, yeah. so uh, for me, that's a little easier. Not that I, I like. I like maps. I like the fact that there's like an equation that works with this. So if I'm a one, I can go look at what my four part <laughs> is. Structure liberates. Structure does liberate. Um, but, and so that's one way to do work. Like I think we can be intentional with it because it gives us um, some. I was going to say some connecting lines. <laughs> That's exactly what it does. It gives us connect. It shows us our connecting lines, um, doorways, doorways to those parts of us. Uh, but also I'm a big feeling person. I feel like I'm more of a feeling person than ones normally are, unless it's just because of that gut anger. I'm just really in touch with my body. I and know. you're just really in touch with your core connection. I think, yeah, maybe I feel like I'm a big feeler for one, but, um, there are multiple times a day. I mean, literally just this morning I was sitting there answering email and then all of a sudden I just went, Oh, I just want to cry right now. Like, where did that come from? Um, <laughs> you, normally I'm pretty good about tasking. So I just like shut that down. Like, we don't have time for you. Be quiet. We're not crying right now. We're tasking. <laughs> But it is is definitely something that hits me multiple times a day. Um, And so I like now that I know IFS that I can be like, what is that coming from? Did I just read something that kind of hit that core fear? Did um, a sound or a smell just bring back a memory that flooded me with an emotion that is not even part of my conscious, like what's happening right now? Um, And if you have time, which we don't always have time in the day, it is good to take a pause and think about what is that part that's trying to get your attention. So I think we can start with emotions. We can start with Enneagram. There's a lot of ways that we can approach this inner work. I've been in a cohort the last uh, couple of months with mostly IFS therapists who don't have as much knowledge about the Enneagram. And so they're learning about the Enneagram as a way to give more nuance to the clients they work with, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting because we're only looking at the perspective of we already know the Enneagram and now we're learning about IFS. Right. I don't know that there's a right way to start. If you don't know either of them, I don't know that there's a right way to start there. But I think that what they both do is they lend a way forward in different ways. So we know that the Enneagram, like you said, if you know your stress and security lines, there's some really practical things that you can do for health, for growth and things like that, right? It's funny, you and I were actually, we were talking yesterday about like, when we're like really overwhelmed or w- when we get flooded, what is a really practical thing that we can do? And for you, one of the things is like, stop tasking. And for me, it was like, I need to do the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a like very opposite response that we need to do. And we know that because of our Enneagram. Well, and because that one four shares a line. Mm-hmm. So as a one, I need to stop tasking and purposefully tap into that four line mm-hmm. where I'm like, what am I feeling? I need to bring that to the service. I need to not ignore it and push it away with tasking and yeah. deal with it for you, you're feeling all the time. And sometimes those feelings are pulling you down and you need to tap into that one line to say, okay, if I get up and task, maybe the feelings aren't the whole thing right now. They're not the full truth, you know? So the Enneagram gave us that really, really practical tool that, I mean, for me, it's been huge game changer to know that about myself. Yeah. But what IFS has done then is going to those flooded exiles. Okay. When I am overwhelmed with feelings and I can't get out of it, Where can I bring Jesus into that to really unburden that part that feels flooded and reassign it a role that's going to serve me in a better way? So it's not a different tool than the Enneagram necessarily. It's just maybe taking it into um, a more soul-centered place than a practical place, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. So they're both needed, that both of those things are needed. I can't every time sit down with a flooded exile and walk through all of the IFS steps, but I can stand up and drink a glass of water.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And the Enneagram has
0: taught me that that's a really good move for me. Yes. So there are practical steps with just knowing your type and using these stress and security lines for better health. Mm -hmm. Um, but that doesn't always transform the, the burdened you know, belief system. And that's where I feel like too, um, there are times when I can't stop tasking. Like the job has to get done. There's a time limit. There's only so many hours in the day, but when I feel the panic start rising up, I can take a second to deal with that. And Unburden that lie that if I don't show up well and I don't do it perfectly, that I won't have value. Mm -hmm. And so that is more IFS work within knowing my Enneagram and just taking that moment to go, okay, I have to keep tasking. I can't sit with my feels today, but I can task from an unburdened place of I'm capable of doing this, but this is not where my value is found. And it just settles the striving and the panic settles down a little bit, um, a lot sometimes, but. So even that is a little way, a little nuanced, different, I think, yeah. difference. Uh, I think for me, um, sometimes I know what I need to do, but I just can't do it in that moment. You know, and that's true for all of us right. in different seasons. I think what you bring up is a really good point for people, especially if they're, if they know their Enneagram number and they're struggling to figure out where to start with IFS. You talk, you talked about like that panic hits you because you feel like it's not okay to make a mistake, right? And that is what we would call the wounding message for an Enneagram one. And all nine types have that wounding message that we've talked about in the past. And if we can identify, okay, I know that as a four, my wounding message is, it's not okay to be too much and not enough. Then that's a really good starting place for me as an an IFS to go, where's the part of me that feels like I'm too much? What's the part of me that feels like I'm not enough? And then start going and dealing with that part. What's the part of you that feels like it's not okay to make a mistake? And then you can go and deal with that part. And we already know how to unburden those parts because we know the healing message every type already needs to hear Mm -hmm. that you are loved despite your mistakes, like that you are good no matter what, you know, that kind of thing. So if, if you're unsure about where to start, I would start almost with those wounding messages. Yeah, and those are, they can sound generic, but when you start feeling the emotion that's attached to it, like for me, panic was one of those firefighters that starts going off that I realize is very closely related to that exile fear of the bur- the burden that that exile believes is it's not okay to make a mistake. So it's one thing for me just to know that on paper that that's an Enneagram one thing. It's another thing for me to realize there's a really wounded little girl in me that's probably five years old that really believes it's not okay to make a mistake. Right. That really personalizes that message that I read on a paper for training about ones. And, and then I recognize that Panic starts to kick in when the mistake is about to be made or realized or seen. And so I can speak to panic to step back from it. So I can talk to that part of me that is still so young in her understanding of what making a mistake looks like and what being exposed looks like. And that's where some transformational healing can come because then Jesus is invited to that moment. This isn't just head knowledge anymore about what someone tells me in Enneagram 1 believes this is about Deidre and her personal lived experience and how she's coped with that wrong belief and how jesus can come in and touch that um you because again we talk about ones and fours a lot those are our <laughs> numbers um you know one of my girls is a 2 one of them's a three, one of them's a four. We have a couple different uh, very big heart, all heart triad, <laughs> all heart triad types in these teenage girls in our home. Um and so one of them is um you know very involved in what her friends think is so important. And she mentioned last night on the phone to me, she said I'm trying not to get triggered because I offered to help make dinner. They're all on a trip together. And they were like, We don't need your help. And what I imagine she was being told was no, go relax. We're fine. You deserve to not help with this meal. You've helped with all of the others. What she was internalizing is they don't need me. Therefore, they don't want me. Therefore I am rejected. You know, it like that triggers that whole Enneagram two thing of um, if my, if I'm dispensable, right. So I have to make myself indispensable. And so I do that through serving and helping and, and uh, being there to answer needs for others. So if they don't need me, What does that say about me? And it triggers this whole exile in her. And again, that's not what was probably actually happening, but we were able to just speak to that exile uh, part of her that you still have value, even when you are not doing for someone else. Like there, if you can step back from that moment and say, oh, their value was in doing for you, because actually I know some of the people involved in that. And that was probably their love language to her to say, we want you to enjoy this vacation time, go relax. Um, So it just gets so cool when you can really break this down as, as the emotions are present, Mm -hmm. because it's not like, oh, just calm down. That's not true. It's like, oh, I can see why you would feel that that would be true to you because of what that burden belief is the burden belief is if I don't do something to make myself, you know, helpful, then I'm just indispensable. And therefore I don't have a place then in this group. And yes, sorry. I have to make myself indispensable. So now I am disposable and they will just get rid of me. Um, And, and so I just feel like there's so much compassion because then we can move toward one another in connection instead of just being like, that's not true. Don't believe that. Well, that's really easy to say, but how do you tell my little five-year-old self that inside? I have said it before I'm assuming, and I'm going to say it again, but this kicks me out so much. And I'm imagining like, you know, those Maybe I'm making this up. Is this a thing? Oh, I hate when I do this live. Is this a thing? <laughs> you know those mats that you would see when you were like little, and there would be like a film overlay where you could then see like all the bodies of water, and then you could put another film overlay over it, and you'd see like the topography, or and there's all these different and then, yeah, like they're, but they're all transparent, so you can still see all the way to the bottom of it. But now you've overlaid all these things. Yeah, that's what this feels like to Ooh, me. Ooh, I like that. Like you're talking about the panic in you, you know, and like we learned a lot, I'm really excited, I'm gonna trip over all my words. We learned a lot about embodiment uh, with Hillary McBride books that we talked about in the fall. Um, So if you are experiencing panic, but you don't know what it is that you're happening. All you know is that your heart is racing and your chest is tight, and you're feeling a sensation in your body. And so, if you can put that as your first overlay over your soul and go, "What does that feel like? What am I? What's, what am I sensing in my body? Can I breathe through this? What? It, where is it landing? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And then we can put another film overlay of Atlas of the Heart. We talked a lot about Brene Brown and her emotions work, and we talked about that with Becky Castle Miller. Where? What am I? What's the emotion attached to this feeling in my body? Yeah. Can I really drill down and get into what's it called? Um, when the, like the, the color, emotional granularity. Yeah, the granularity of it. Can I instead of going, oh, I'm feeling panicked. I mean, that's an emotion, but if it could be like, but I mean, is it was r- wrong right now? What does that mean? Right. Are you confused? Are you overwhelmed? Are you scared? Are you panicked? Like, can we drill down to the granularity of it, and then we can overlay? Okay, now if I know I'm an Enneagram one experiencing panic here's where that root issue. And then we can overlay IFS to really get to the unburdening of it and just feels like everything makes so much sense when it's combined. And we had no idea any of this existed when we started talking about all of this less than a year ago, right? Yeah. It's so cool. <laughs> I don't know if I even explained all that well, but I'm just picturing those like little maps with all the little different color overlays on it. And it is... I think that it is very personal. Um, So again, Enneagram can be kind of generic, which gives you a really great map on where you are and what you're believing. But then that emotional embodiment and these parts of us gets really specific because we've all experienced different things in our lives that have um, confirmed what that core belief or fear is. Right, and it's going back to those places too. That gives it so much. Um, that's where the like granularity comes from. I think almost to be like so. Like any enneagram one can experience anger, but I realize oh, there's this indignation in me that no, I did it right, and I still got in trouble. Like oh, okay, that w- that was related to this memory, memory, or the or these maybe series of memories, or you know, relationships where that was uh, repeated over a series of time or something. And that, that does get specific. So you're not just a number. You're not just like one of nine. You are so intricate and you are a whole galaxy in in and of yourself. And it's so beautiful that God wants to encounter you right where you are. And so he's giving you all these tools for each of us, but for everyone that's listening to get to the heart of the matter. And that's always what Jesus just does so well. He gets to the heart of the matter. Um, So if you're like, you know, if you're listening with us this long, you obviously care a little bit about this, but I think sometimes people are like, oh, so I'm just a number. I'm just a number. No, but that gives you one of the overlays to drill down on what's going on inside of the whole vast galaxy of your soul so that you can begin to get a handle on where you even are and where where to begin and, and what to start, what language to even start with. I think it makes it so accessible. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, you know, this, when we just learning the Enneagram and realizing I was a four, I was like, okay, it makes so much sense why I feel flooded by emotion all the time. And sometimes when I feel too many feelings all at once, I don't know how to get past the fog of it. It's too many. And so just knowing the Enneagram, we learned how to go, okay, if I can name every emotion that I'm feeling, maybe that will help separate the little droplets of that fog and I can start to, it'll dissipate then. Right. Yeah. So now I still feel flooded all the time, but now I can go, okay, is there a specific part I can drill in and name and go into that's, I feel in my body. I feel that emotion. I feel that part. I can know all of those things and it's specific to me. Maybe every four feels flooded, but like you said, this is specific to my soul map and I don't have to be scared of it anymore because I can just kind of drill in on one thing at a time. Well, and also just the way that you experience that wounding message can be so different from other people. Um, we know we have quite a few Enneagram threes in our life that look like completely different people. Yeah. Um, and a lot of their experiences have been different, whether that's birth order or family dynamics or just so many things, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever their specific gift mixes, is, um, kind of even a personality or their extroversion versus introversion. Yeah. So I was talking to one of them recently and we did a little IFS work and she was sensing this thing that would be common to all threes. And it was like, if I can't do and perform well, then I won't have value, right? That's a very like basic Enneagram three concept. But as she began to explore her emotions she was having with it, it was almost like what she was really afraid of is that this part of her that was such a force of, you know, they're just a big forces of personality, right? But she she started seeing it as we did IFS work as almost like this tornado that was just inside of her, and so it could be really destructive to people around her because. She like when she was younger, she she needed to be the best, so she would just climb on top of other people to get there, you know. Or she need, but she was. It wasn't because she was trying to be mean to other people. It was because she was so desperate for her own validation because that value was the only thing that brought worth to her. Right? As a little kid, you don't know all of this is going on, and so something that seems really generic on paper as an Enneagram three thing, we got really specific where she realized that all of her tasking and doing was like trying to hold back the tornado. It was like this really big fence that she was pushing all of her weight into to hold back the tornado. Like if I, if I can appear, like I've got it all together and appear peaceful and appear good, then no one will know that what I'm holding back is this destructive force inside of me. And so she was afraid to like let that thing loose because it was going to be destructive. But when we could unburden that part that it didn't have to Um, that it could still be a force of nature but not be destructive that because now it didn't have to go out and do and perform for value we could unburden that lie and that part of her that felt so scary to her for others to see we now started going oh okay so there's a lot of forces of nature that are good like just wind think about how productive wind is or how refreshing wind is and and without the burden of that It could be that gift to the world. And so again, really generic Enneagram three stuff, but like really specific to her because of some really specific memories and lived experience for her. And I'm not sure that that would speak to every Enneagram three. So it's so cool. I just think it gets really, really nitty gritty and transformative in that way. And when you combine all the tools together, they become almost a shortcut, not to healing, but a shortcut to awareness. Yes, for sure. And it gets you in the right place. I mean, I'm notorious, obviously, we've talked about this before for not understanding (laughs) lost. Yeah. Just not understanding directions in the general sense, much less like, like I can look at a map and understand it if I'm just memorizing geography, but I don't know how to put myself in it to figure which direction I'm supposed to go. Like even on my steering map, I have to watch the blue dot for a while to see if I'm actually following it. Like It just doesn't make sense to me to figure out if it's going right or left. I tell a story real fast. I'm totally going to interject. I was on a, (laughs) I was on a work meeting recently and one of my colleagues was saying that she faces a window when she works from home. And she was like, I don't, I don't know, you know, which way it faces, but I know that the sun goes and she made this gesture of her head, like from right to left, she goes, so maybe I'm facing East. And my face, I just, I had the most perplexed look on my face. And my boss was like, I don't think Megan agrees with your assessment. And I was like, I don't know directions at all. But even I would think that that's a little bit illogical. (laughs) I was kind of proud of myself for recognizing the flaw in that that guess. (laughs) Sorry, that was a total non sequitur, but it made me laugh. And I can actually understand what you're saying. Because like in theory directions make sense. Right? Right. But me putting myself into the map doesn't, it? but I think that that's true for a lot of us when it comes to our souls, like we understand the principles of psychology that we learned in psych 101, or like if someone talks about something, you know, we understand like the theory and the concept, but then we're, we're such a mystery to ourselves. We don't know where to begin. So yeah, Atlas of the heart embodiment Org, IFS Enneagram, all of these tools give you a starting point. And when you overlay all of them, like, like you, you are here, which yes. you have said a hundred times, probably on this podcast, that those don't make sense to you, they don't. But when I see you are here with this map, and like you said, that overlay of, and you're here with this map and you're over, over all the overlays are all pointing to the same region, the same area. Then it's like, okay, this, this makes sense because I've got several connecting points. That's my problem with direction. (laughs) I don't if I don't have anywhere to connect it to. So I lived in a town where the main road that went through town that went from one a county courthouse to another county courthouse. So I knew north and south from that. And then we have the St. Louis arch, which I knew was west. So if I could put myself in my bearings on that road with the arch, I always knew which way was north, south, east, west. But if you drop me in a city where I don't have any of those points, then it's just like, if you could see my hands just flailing, like there's no connection for anything. Or in the middle of an amusement park (laughs) with a map that says you are here. Well, but if it shows me what I'm next to, okay, I see that it's right there. That makes sense. My point is that we grow up not having a lot of these connections made for us. Right. We're not all really taught well by our parents, what emotions to decode and why we're having a response to something and how to look inward to figure that out. And so I just think all of these tools give a lot of clarity and a lot of directional cues. Do you think it's like Ironic or intentional that God gave us all these maps to to totally directionally challenge people. Like, is that funny? Like, haha! Ha, you guys are directionally challenged. Here's a bunch of maps, or is it like because you're directionally challenged, I'm giving you maps to work with. Oh, I think probably the latter. <laughs> I think He probably laughs at how we can't grab <laughs> hold of them. <laughs> but if anything, it's probably compassionately like, oh, come here, let's try this again. Like, here's- like when people give me directions, here's- like just go down this hall and turn right and the door's on your left. That doesn't work. <laughs> but, but we've had some sweet people who have been like, they follow us because they're like, we, they could tell we didn't get us. And they follow us in the hall like, you're lost, right? Yes. No, right here. This <laughs> is the door. So turn, oh, thank you so much. Thanks for following me and helping me out. I think God for sure does that with us. He doesn't, he's not a watchmaker God that just set all of the things in the sky and then hoped we figured it out. I think he's intimately guiding us and he can be with us as we're seeking as we're knocking on doors as we're trying to decode these things in general i think our biggest problem is that we'd rather just tune all of that out because it's too painful to look at Mm -hmm. or it's because it's unknown we feel stupid that we don't understand Um, but he's there and he's waiting and i think he wants to take this journey with us and that wraps up another episode of the dauntless grace exchange you can follow us on social media to stay connected. We are on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries. Our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace, and you can join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash team DGM. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Megan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org.